The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 2, 10 through 12. The word of God speaks to us. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word to us. Hey, good morning, church. It's, uh, man, it's the first Sunday of 2024. Uh, I, I heard the other day... Um, that you're not supposed to wish somebody a happy new year after uh, January the 3rd, um, but I don't, I don't care. Happy new year. Happy new year. Uh, we're so grateful that you would choose for this to be the place you'd spend your first Sunday of 2024. Uh, really excited to be with you this morning. Um, e- even, even with that, um, I, I want to name, like, some of you are here this morning with a, a tremendous amount of hope and excitement about the first of the year. Right, some of you may have exciting things on the calendar coming up. Um, you're you're just like filled with all kinds of excitement for what's coming, and there are probably some of you in this room that might be entering into 2024 feeling a bit hopeless, feeling maybe even a sense of dread because um, 2023 didn't end the way that you wanted it to. Uh, or maybe there's some, some things coming up that you, you're feeling anxious or, or sad about. And, and I, just wanna, I just wanna start right, right on the top of our time here by saying that, uh, friends, for both of you, the invitation is the same. Like, like the Lord has promised to meet you in his kindness, in his love, the, the, the same, exactly where you are this morning. So um, I, I just, I hope that that, um, that that encourages you. It's something that I've been feeling like the Lord just meets us right where we are because he's kind and he loves us. So as, as I think about uh, January, as I think about the beginning of this year, I can't help but think about the ways that our seasons and our rhythms have, have formed us in 2023. And then that makes me think about um, the ways in which our seasons and our rhythms are going to form us in 2024, um, because whether we know it or not, our calendars are actually shaping us in ways we probably can't recognize. We, we may, may, may not even be aware of it, right? For, um, as an example, for those of you who are somehow connected to a school, I know we have elementary students with us, really excited to have you here this morning. We've got a lot of teachers in the room and parents in the room. Like the school calendar has these markers of feelings, right? Like, like as soon as you start to smell new backpacks and new pencil bags and, um, and new sneakers, then you all know that it's the month of August, right? And, and the month of August has all these hopes and dreams for what the school year is going to hold, hopes for new, f- for, for new friends and all these things, right? Or staying with the school theme, if you find yourself day after day that feel dark and long and, and it, it won't stop, then you know that you're in the month of February, February, which is um, somehow in some mathematical like uh, uh, phenomenon, February is the longest month in, the, in, in all of our schools and the shortest month on the calendar. I, I don't understand, uh, but that's, that's just how it goes, right? Or, or as, as another example, like we're here today and it wouldn't surprise me if many of you have that kind of January feeling, Right, that, that feeling where um, you're, you're going, okay, I had, a, I had a good Christmas, but I still feel 
left with some unmet expectations, right? We, we celebrated the birth of Jesus, but now the lights are off. The, the tree needs to be put back into the attic. And if, and if we're honest, um, like the, the gifts we were most excited to give and most excited to receive, even now, two weeks later, have probably lost their shine. It's, it's easy to feel these things because our calendars shape us. Our, our calendars affect our hearts, right? Whether it's the, 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 the smell of the first bonfire of the year or that transition in the spring from, from stouts to pale ales uh, or, or that, that moment when you find that flannel that you love so much uh, in your closet, right? These, these things shape us and, and, and make us feel certain ways. And, and to, to be honest, like, this is, this is not a 2024 thing. Like, this is not a modern thing. For, for hundreds of years, the church has utilized the calendar to shape and to disciple its people, Right? We, we have the, the traditional Christian calendar, which there's some words in here that are probably familiar to you and some that aren't, but the traditional tr- Christian calendar starts in Advent. Right? This is what we just celebrated, this anticipation of the birth of Jesus. Right? And then it, transition, it transitions to Epiphany. And that's where we are right now, and I'm gonna circle back to that here in a second. And then it goes from Epiphany into Lent, which are these uh, 40 days leading up to the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus. Lent is followed by a familiar one, uh, Easter, right? We all know about Easter and how that works. Um, But then 50 days after Easter, we celebrate Pentecost, which is uh, this this moment when we we acknowledge the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to establish the church here on earth, right? So, um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to honor the traditions of our church fathers by exploring the depths of Epiphany. This is the Sunday of Epiphany. So um, I would ask for you to pray for me, and I want to pray for you before we jump into our text. Father, we need you here this morning. We invite your spirit here to teach us, to convict us, Father, we're gonna be reading stories about your son Jesus that are probably familiar to most of us, and I just pray that you would allow us to experience these stories afresh. Father, allow um, particular details to stick out to us. Let us us, uh, end this time together with a, a clearer picture of who your son Jesus is. Father, we love you, and, and we thank you for our time together. Amen. Amen. Well, this word epiphany may be familiar for some of you. It may be new for some of you, but it comes from the Greek word phanion, which, which means uh, to cause to appear or to bring to light. So in, in other words, uh, epiphany is actually reminding us uh, that the story doesn't end with the birth of Jesus, the story actually begins with the birth of Jesus. And, and as the story of Jesus unfolds, every detail that we read brings to light more and more about who he is and what he came here to do. 
Okay, so that's what epiphany means. That's where we are. And we're gonna, we're gonna hopefully answer the question of like, what does it look like for us to engage this season of epiphany? And we're gonna get there by opening three passages this morning. And each one of them is gonna, is gonna reveal or bring to light something new about Jesus. And, and through these passages, we're gonna see that Jesus reigns over all of the nations. We're going to see that Jesus is indeed God's son, and we're going to see that Jesus is powerful. So uh, with all of that, I'd love for you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This is the text that April just read for us, but it says this, when they saw the star, they here being the wise men, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Through this passage that I just read, uh, we see that he reigns. He reigns. So so let's ask ourselves, what's what's happening here? Well, we, we have these three men, Um, I say three, it could have been three, it could have been more than that, I don't know exactly how many, but we have these men coming from the east to visit this baby, right? So we don't know exactly where they were from, but they were uh, probably from Babylon or uh, Arabia or Persia. And and these men are referred to here as as wise men. Now you may have heard them referred to in other ways, right? The, The magi, uh, uh, they, they could have been sorcerers. There's even the uh, kind of the traditional Christmas carol, We Three Kings, right, where they're referred to as kings. We don't actually know a whole lot about these, uh, these men, but, but we do know a few things. We, we know without a shadow of a doubt that they were not Jewish. That's a really important detail that we don't wanna move past, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to that. We, we know that they... They, uh, they showed up to see baby Jesus because they saw this star from the Lord. And we know that when they arrived, um, they weren't there like bitter and angry because of this long, hard journey. They weren't grumpy when they got there. They actually arrived in joy, right? I think the words here are rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So what did they do when they arrived? Well, they they fell down on their faces and worshiped him. Again, we, we don't know a whole lot about these men. But we do know, we do know that they were probably important men. And we do know that it's, it's highly unlikely they were falling down on their faces very often, let alone at the feet of a baby, Right? I have a 10-month-old at home. Um, I have never had anybody come to visit and fall on their face and worship of her, except for um, maybe her older brother every now and again. <laughs> so so they, they fall on their faces in worship, and then they give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They, they, they're submitting to this new king. And I, and I can't stress this enough. They weren't Jewish. They, they had no reason to submit to this baby other than the work of the Lord to lead them there. So so they meet Jesus and they offer worship and submission, right? Worship through the the gifts that they give and submission through this posture 
that they take, right? You, you actually can't have one without the other, right? Uh, worship of King Jesus is actually hollow without a willingness to submit to his reign, right? So as, as you ponder the response of, of these men, I want you to ask yourself the question, where is your allegiance? W- what are you worshiping? Wh- who are you worshiping? What are you submitting to? These feel like really vital questions as we enter into an election year, right? Where we're, where we're gonna hear lots and lots of um, what, what will inevitably be empty promises, right? These, these really um, winsome speeches and, and there's gonna be lots of opinions flying around. And so the question is, how are, how are you gonna respond to that? Who are you worshiping? Where is your submission? So, so we're talking about a, a, epiphany, right? the, the bringing to light of something. What, what is, what's illuminated in this story? Well, what's illuminated is that, is that Jesus reigns as king over the entire world, that, that he didn't just come to rescue the Jews. He actually came to rescue and restore all nations, Right? And he reigns in, in glory and majesty over us the same way that he reigned in glory and majesty over those sorcerers who fell on their faces 2,000 years ago. Galatians 5, chapter 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcised or circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. That's whether you follow the Jewish law or you don't. It actually doesn't count for anything. Only faith counts working through love. And and this is why we sing of the majesty of Jesus, right? This is why we reflect on his glory. This is why we clap our hands and shout because he is the king who reigns the same today as he did yesterday and he will tomorrow. The story of the wise men tells us that Jesus reigns. So now I want you to uh, pick up your Bible and turn with me one book to the right, and we're going we're gonna to read about Jesus' identity. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says this, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So again, what's happening here in this moment? Well, John the Baptist uh, has been this, this voice in the wilderness, right? Uh, crying out, saying that, hey, there's a man coming who's gonna make all of the crooked ways straight again. All of the brokenness he's going to make whole. Um, and, and this man is actually gonna be mightier than I am. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, would you baptize me? 
And, and we don't know exactly what John knew in that moment, but we do know that as, as soon as he pulls Jesus up out of the water, um, John is overwhelmed by the, by the reality that, that he just baptized the Son of God. Right? And we know that because these three things happen. The, the heavens split open and, and the Spirit of God descended and settled on Jesus. And, and the voice of God identified him as his son. So I want you to take a minute to use your imagination and, and, and put yourself in the shoes of these two men. We have, we have John the Baptist who um, the, the, the scriptures tell us that he was wearing clothes made of camel hair. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, use your imagination. But he's, he's standing there with his crazy beard um, and, and, and crazy knotted hair dripping with water, confronted by the reality that he just baptized the Son of God. Like, what a profound moment for him. Now put yourself in the shoes of Jesus for a minute, who's, who's on the, the precipice of his ministry. And, 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 he, and he hears the, the words of his true father saying, hey, um, I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with what you've done. I think it's really easy to assume God's approval for Jesus. Right, to forget that he's actually a grown man who's lived a lot of life before this moment, right? who, who uh, lived as a child, who, who dealt with pre-adolescence, right? who went through puberty, uh, who, who walked through the awkwardness of being a young adult and trying to figure out um, what, what all this life stuff is about. And Jesus did all of these things with perfect grace. And, and God, his father, comes to him and says, hey, I'm pleased with you. You've done great. Like, that's a profound moment for Jesus. So, so, so what's illuminated here? What, what's brought to light in this moment? Well, I think there's a, a couple of things. The, the first thing that's brought to light in this moment is that we, we see the divinity of Jesus, we, we learn that without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is God's son, right? He, he declares that with his own words. And the, the second thing that we learn here is, is the humanity of Jesus, right? We, we see this because he's, he participates in this human sacrament of baptism. And so now we can be baptized just as he was, washed with water, uh, taken as a, as a son or a daughter of God and, and bathed in the Spirit. Listen, church, if, if we lose track of Jesus' identity as the Son of God, then we lose the gospel. And if we lose track of Jesus' identity as a human, then we lose the gospel, right? If, if Jesus were just a powerful teacher or like a really like talented gatherer of people, then, then we should just spend our Sundays eating pancakes and drinking mimosas because, because if, if Jesus isn't the son of God, then he's no different than you and me, right? But if, if Jesus was only divine, 
If he only lived a perfect life because he wasn't fully human, because he didn't experience the pain or suffering of this world, if he can't resonate with our sinful temptations, then everything falls apart. He isn't the rescuer promised in Scripture. So I want you to ask yourself, is is there one of those two truths that you find yourself neglecting? Right? Are, Are you really quick to think of Jesus as human? as your friend, as your counselor, as as your buddy, but slow to remember that he's the son of God, that he's he's worthy of of awe and adoration, that he's he's worthy of praise and glory? Or, Or maybe it's the other side of the coin. Maybe you tend to think of Jesus only as the divine son of God, forgetting that he's experienced everything that you're experiencing. Anxiety, loneliness, temptation, isolation, humility. Jesus experienced all of that because he was human. So we have Jesus, human and divine, the the son of God, but born to a woman. And that changes everything And that's what's brought to light in Mark chapter one. So now let's go look at our our last passage this morning. Will you turn with me over to John chapter two? To John chapter two. And I'm I'm gonna read this story that is most likely familiar to you in some degree or another. This is uh, verses seven through 11 of John chapter two. It says this, Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. But when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's, it's through this passage that we see his power. So again, what, what's, what's happening here in this moment? Well, we have Jesus, who was invited to this kind of hometown wedding. And he, he brings his friends, his disciples along with him. His, his mother was also invited, so, so she's there. And all of a sudden they realize uh, that this, this couple that's hosting this wedding is, is looking embarrassment and shame right in the face because they've run out of wine. And this is like having a dinner party and running out of food while you still have guests with empty stomachs. Right, and, and, and there's, a, there's a detail in here that um, from the passage that I chose to read that if you actually read before what I read is really important because you could read this and go, oh, six jars of wine. Okay, like little ball canning jars, I don't know. Um, no, these jars were actually 20 to 30 gallons a piece. And, and Jesus turned all of that, all of those gallons of water into not only wine, but fine wine. 
So, so this was like a, a lavish, extravagant, over-the-top kind of miracle. So, so those are all the facts, but, but I want to dig another layer deeper and ask the question, what's actually happening here? Well, this is Jesus's first miracle. And this miracle is, is dripping with extravagance, with cultural uh, relevance, and with power. I think it's really interesting that this, this miracle isn't out of necessity. It's actually out of kindness. Because, because this miracle wasn't a life or death situation, right? It wasn't even like, like improving uh, quality of life moving forward, like giving sight to the blind uh, or, or stopping the woman from bleeding. Uh, Jesus just wanted to save his friends from embarrassment and bring a little bit of life to the party, right? Like, like he's displaying uh, his power and his power uh, is to bring joy where there's suffering, Right? His power is to make the, the things of this world bow down to his rule. So what's revealed? Where's the epiphany here? What, what's being illuminated? Well, what comes to light in John chapter 2 is the manifestation of the power of Jesus. Right? Manifestation is when something that's been largely hidden is then um, made widely known. And this miracle in, in Cana is the first time that we see his power on full display. Now, that, that doesn't mean that he couldn't have done miracles before this, right? But it does mean that this is when he decides to go public, right? To let the world know about it. And the second thing that's revealed the second thing that's brought to light here is, is, a, is, a, is a little more subtle, but, but we're, we're given a window into the heart of Jesus. Right? Because if he cares enough to save this couple from embarrassment, then how much more does he care about your soul? If he cares enough to bring a little bit of life to this party, then how, do, how much more does he care about capturing the hearts of our children? How much more does he care about restoring your relationship with your spouse or, or bringing uh, companionship to the lonely? It, it, it begs the question, as you pray, as you pray, are, are your prayers fueled by faith in this powerful Jesus, right? Do you pray knowing that the man who turned water into wine is actually listening to you? Do you, do you pray knowing that the God who, who brought forth mountains from this earth is actually listening? Knowing, knowing that the man who saved this couple from embarrassment has also extended his kindness and love to you? Or do you pray with feeble faith? doubtful that anyone's even listening with, with words that are empty of heat and fire, almost feeling silly for believing that anyone could be listening. Me too. Me too. But, but here's, the, here's the good news for us today, church. This couple this couple who was being married, they didn't do anything to deserve this kindness from Jesus. All they did was run out of wine. 
And he extends his kindness by filling their jars, just as none of us deserve his grace. Right? All we do is bring our emptiness to him, and then he fills us up, making us whole, gifting us with the miracle of faith. The, the, the wedding at Cana exposes us to the power of Jesus and how he wants to use that power in the brokenness of this world. So we have these three passages, and, and they, they illuminate or they bring light on, on his reign, his identity, and his power. But let's not forget where we started this morning. Because we started talking about calendars. We started talking about seasons and rhythms and how they make us feel things. Right, how, they, how they actually affect and change our behavior. I, I, I love this quote uh, from Andrew Wilson uh, about the calendar. I didn't know it was possible to love a quote about calendars, but here we are. Calendars are not neutral. They, they narrate a particular vision of the world. The tax year tells a story about money. The academic year tells a story about work and rest. The calendar year tells a story about life and death. And, and at least in Europe, from the first flowers in January to the last fruits of November and then the desolation in December. And the church calendar tells a different story again. One shaped by the gestation, birth, appearing, temptation, death, resurrection, ascension, and gifts of the Lord Jesus. If you're going to use a calendar at all, and most of us are, it might as well be one which holds together around the gospel. So we're left with the question that we started our time with. In this season of Epiphany, after Advent, before Lent, how can we engage ourselves in the story of Jesus? How can we engage this season of Epiphany in a meaningful way? Well, I have, I have two simple thoughts. The, the first is to immerse yourself in the story of Jesus. This is actually what we've done this morning, right? We've, we've immersed ourselves in the story of Jesus corporately, right? But in the, in the weeks between now and Ash Wednesday, I would encourage you to immerse yourself in the story of Jesus personally, right? There's a, a couple of ways that you can do that. I've got some practical tips. Um, one of them is to pick one of the gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, those first four books of the New Testament, and, and, and make it a goal to read one of those um, four times between now and Ash Wednesday. Or you could go the other direction and, and simply make the commitment to read all of the Gospels, one, two, three, and four, uh, between now and Ash Wednesday, experiencing this story of Jesus from, from four different perspectives, all God-breathed. Right? This is a great, uh, a great thing to invite your discipleship group to join you in. Okay, so immerse yourselves in the story of Jesus so that we might be reminded that the birth of Jesus isn't the end of the story, it's the beginning. The, the second thing that I would encourage you uh, 
to, to do as we engage the season of epiphany is to live as a testimony to the story of Jesus. To live as a testimony to the story of Jesus. This means noticing in highlighting, in naming the ways that Jesus lived and then intentionally asking the Spirit of God to allow you to embody his values, to embody his actions, and to embody his priorities. Right? We, we can do this by, by caring for our neighbors, right? by, by, by doing our vocation, the, the work that we're called to with integrity by having open hands and, and handling our money with generosity, right? by offering service to the poor, by practicing forgiveness and allowing ourselves to, to remain steadfast in our hope in the midst of suffering. As you think about being a testimony, living as a testimony for Jesus, uh, I would encourage you to ask him to deepen your burden for those who don't know him. Right? Maybe, maybe it looks like uh, choosing a, a few friends or a few coworkers that you uh, intentionally pray for from now until Ash Wednesday and then invite them to church. Right? These are really simple and yet intentional steps that the Lord could use in profound ways across our city. There's nothing special about January and February. The, the Bible doesn't command us to use that particular period of time uh, to, to, to meditate on the life of Jesus. But um, we do see God all throughout Scripture encourage his people to take moments and seasons to reflect and remember his faithfulness. Right? And we do see God direct his people into seasons of both fasting and seasons of, of feasting so that we might not find ourselves adrift far from him. So listen, the, the elders of this church have a, have a deep desire that, that we might all position ourselves in such a way that we might um, experience the presence of God through his word, through his people, and by his spirit. And, and engaging in the church calendar is, is just simply a tool that we can leverage to that end. Would you pray with me?